1: The score!
2: Yeah, um, I would just say that, uh, you know, he had good rhythm, good timing. Uh, I thought they cost some contested catches, you know, that we usually break up. You know, we
3: got to do a good job of busting a triangle and finishing plays uh, there. We did bust up a couple of them, you know, the touchdown to catch and the one in the back. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, we just got to continue to compete there.
2: Bust up that triangle. He's talking about this arm, this arm. Football, bust it up, play the pocket, bust the triangle. That's right. So there are some important guys in that defensive secondary who aren't quite on board with exactly things as they're being done. I I think that's too broad
3: of a generalization, Dan. Well let's here we I think that they weren't on board with what happened on Sunday. We've talked to Jaquan, and he has said repeatedly that he likes how Matt Eberflus calls the defense. You see him often, like chirping in Eberflus's ear. I think for this specific game, they didn't like what was going on, and they didn't like that there wasn't an adjustment made. I I don't I wouldn't throw a whole blanket and say that these guys are like going rogue against. What E. Fleece was doing on defense.
2: Well, let's let's hear them in their words, and you can decide here. Let's start with Jaquan Brisker, who was with us this morning, and he specifically said that he there was just too much room that their defense was choosing to give the Green Bay receivers.
0: I'm watching over film you know, whenever again press man or, you know, some coverages were tying up, you watch the Kansas City, you know, game, you watch, you know, some of the Minnesota game the first time they played or any, you know, of them other teams. And you just see a totally difference, you know, when their guys are getting pressed, um, you know, there's pressure against sin or, you know, whatever that may be, whatever coverage, you know, concept the scheme they might have, you could tell, um. You know when the coverage was tight that you know it the quarterback was holding the ball a little longer and trying to scramble and made a lot of mistakes even the Giants game too um for from um, earlier this year so just you know from what I saw and then what I believe in you know our secondary that um I know we, we could have you know tighten up a little bit you used the phrase that we heard coming
2: in too much room would would you have played tighter coverage on them
0: yeah, we 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 just gave him a lot of access throws. As you as you could tell, um, a lot of it was really you know three step. Um, he was getting it out fast, so they're really rhythm throws for him. So um, really just getting the ball out of his hands, and then if not, um, there was probably like two 15 yard um catches downfield, and you could and those um, were like match protect looks. So. Um, tight end chipping, you know, Montez and running back chipping also sometimes. So giving him some time back there and then sometimes he escaped the B gap. So, um, yeah, you know, I feel like, um, like I said before, you know, some of those, some of them maybe play man to man and you know, some of them, you know, may play a different type of zone.
2: Do you say that during the game? I know you've talked about having a robust dialogue with coaches during the game. Do you make those opinions known and say, "Hey, we can we can simply cover these guys. Let us cover them."
0: Actually, this game, you no, know, I I really didn't. You know, going to halftime, you know, um, coach talked to us and you know talked to the team and said he was going to stick with the plan. So, um, and and it was a seven six game right there. So they didn't really do too much. They they start catching on. Um, more in the second half and they made some great adjustments and things like that. So now I'll say in the first half, when we went in, you know, it was 7-6. You know, we had a, um, a great stop. You know, Tyreek had two um, great stops to keep the tight end in balance and the receiver in balance. So um, it was, you know, I didn't say too much at all. Um, the plan was the plan in the first half, and then they adjusted the second half.
2: Okay. So, yeah, it sounds to me like he he quibbled with their approach in that game. Yes. That they're going to stick with the plan. He's like, well,
3: all right, I guess we're sticking with the plan. I guess we're sticking with the plan. The game is 7-6 to six right now. It seems to be working. I I also think, and look, he's on the field. I'm not. I don't think Jaquan's giving enough credit to what happened on Sunday. It, yes, like they decided to put together a game plan that was most effective against what you guys do. They spent the game marching up and down the field, frustrating the hell out of you. Jordan Love made some incredible throws into spaces in the zone. He was dropping dimes into there. And you can talk about access throws as you want, but you know what you should do on those access throws? Cut down the access. And tackle after the guy actually gets the ball in his hands. And the Bears didn't do a great job of that on Sunday. So here was Jalen Johnson
2: with Parkins and Spiegel discussing some of the things he talked about in his exit
4: interview. I think it went well. I feel like just had an opportunity to go in and just I feel like talk about what we think can what we think can be better, I think, from top to bottom coaches. I mean, support staff, training room. I mean it's all the way down to uh, the kitchen, the calves. So I mean, it just gives us the opportunity to try to improve things as a whole. I think for me, I think. Let me see how I, how I want to word this. Let me see how I want to word it. Take your time. Um, uh, I think for me, honestly, just talking to just talking to flutes, talking to um, Ryan. I think just a lot of it, I think, was kind of just some things that we can do better, maybe on the preparation side of it. Um, just going in week to week, I think we can just try to give us opportunities to really like hone in on details i think especially for me like being in the secondary offenses have their have their specialties and things that they do well and i feel like if you for example if you take a team that does a lot of jet motions and routes off of their jet motions that's something that you got to practice because that's not a common thing that you just see so i feel like um an example that i was saying was hey like during practice let's have times where the dbs can get together the corners safeties even the linebackers, hey, let's practice jet motions, how they get into jet motion routes, if they're jet motion in a bunch, if they jet motion um to the single receiver side, just being able to cover and have opportunities to truly practice that and not just watch it on film and say, hey, this is what they do, but actually have time to to mess up at it to where when we do go live and practice, we do go get into the game, we've had multiple reps at it, we messed it up, we've done it right. So we know what it feels like. Um and just kind of taking that into so many different areas and levels I think will do us do us justice as well, but I think honestly too it's really just about management, just when to do it, how to do it, what days we can't do things like that on. I think that's I think where he comes in at and kind of taking that idea and then figuring out best where we can insert it so I mean that's probably a small example of something that I mentioned um, but I thought like that that's probably the most i can I could share that's pretty
2: good, wow. Wait a second here. See, for me, when I heard that, that was a wait, what? That was like a record scratch. Why? That's what scout team is. Yes. That's a whole portion of your weekly prep is what does our opponent do? Now, Dan. What's the base of what they do? How can we actually see it? Not just on film, but actually see it in front of my eyes because the scout team is running their stuff.
3: Now ask yourself this question: Would all of this stuff have been avoided or picked up on if the guy who's the head coach isn't also the defensive coordinator? Maybe what? Like what? Like to me, that's 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 insane. You weren't actually practicing against what the opposing offense does, or you felt like you needed to practice more against stuff that the other team does. He
2: literally said anything other than film.
3: I can't believe that they're running a practice where they weren't showing you looks of Green Bay. I think what Jalen was trying to say is, if it's something
2: that we don't see very much from other teams, work on that more. Yes. Not that they don't prep for what the other offense does. Just that, Be hey, more. this he used jet jet motion as an example. Hey,
3: this team runs jet a lot. We don't see a lot of jet. We should work on that more this week. So to me, it's it's I I think that that's valuable. I'm glad that the Bears have meetings like that to try. But I I I think there's a lot of questions about preparation overall. But even people are saying, oh, well, you know, those guys were upset about the Cleveland game, too. Right. And they also said that that coverage had worked in the Detroit game. But this wasn't the Detroit game. Dan, my point is, is that while they are, while there were folks that were upset about that, they also pointed to the success of that specific coverage in a game that they won,
2: so but why? Why would we presume? And and I think it's a fair question that you've and you've kept a pretty close eye on it all year, monitoring the the work of Eberflus after accepting defensive coordinator and play calling responsibilities. At which he was pretty good for the most part. Yeah, but what did that do? Like, where were the quality control eyes? Where were the? Where was the other set of eyes saying, "Hey, hey, hey, hey." They run an offense based on this. Are we practicing against it? Like, this is
3: football 101 stuff. Well, it, it, it's just kind of a difference, too, between a check and balance system where let's say that I'm the def- – I'm just going to make me the defensive coordinator for the Bears this year. If I'm the defensive coordinator and we're doing all this stuff in in film, and then we get out to the practice field and Iberflus is like, well, wait a minute. Lawrence, what are you doing? Like, you know that they, what they do, like, we need to give our guys more looks. It's different when he can look at the defensive coordinator and say, you don't quite have it, versus the players then having to do a check and balance going the other direction to the coach. And it's not just their DC, it's their head coach. Like, that's where. The dynamic
2: is weird. Yes.
3: That's where I think when you decide to to take yourself, you're you're not an experienced head coach by any means, and then you, you put yourself in the position where you are the ultimate authority, but your perspective is off because you're the person who's now calling the defense and calling the plays, whereas if you had gone with what your original plan was, you're watching everything, and now you get to say, that's not quite right. They run a lot of jet motion stuff, we should have more in it. It's also, I don't know what, what Phil Snow did, if Phil was doing the job remotely where he was offering, which is fine. Like you, you need someone, like another pair of eyes. But it's different when you're actually on the practice field. And when you're the defensive play caller, instead of being the head coach, he's on to the next part of the script. Is he capable... And I would argue probably not because most coaches are not capable of doing both jobs. The Only the really special ones can do both. Well, So
2: basically the conclusion that we draw then is Matt Eberflus might keep his job as head coach because of the job he did as coordinator.
3: I mean, there's other stuff too. He I mean, was making some oh, of the Wani arguments. He loves today. everybody. I know he but, wants
2: Getzy to stay. But
3: the argument that he made about where the, the defense ranked, where it was and what it ended up being, I I think is imp- I think that Matt Eberflus has an argument to stay. I don't know if I would keep him. But I think that he has an argument to stay. I, I think, but, but I think much, if, much of
2: that improvement is due primarily to the acquisition of Montez but Sweat.
3: You, yes, I think that, but they were trending in the right direction defensively before Sweat. I would just say that I would love to know whose call it was that Eberflus was going to continue to call the plays. Allen Williams was let go on September 20th. Still no comment on that. For okay. Everybody. Yep. Was it Eberflu saying, I guess I'll, I'll take on this responsibility? Or was it polls saying, look, we can't find a good candidate right now because everyone's working in college and pro, so you've got to do this. Are you capable of doing it? And, of course, he's going to say, yes, I'm capable of doing it. I think that it's there's an indictment there, though, and I've always felt that way. If you have a staff that doesn't have someone who's qualified to jump into that role – and then let the domino effect happen down the, the the flow chart, if you don't have someone that could have stepped into that role, that means you all did a bad job of hiring your staff. And there's an argument to be had there because two of the coaches had to be fired from the staff.
2: Still but, no, no comment on that. Still Bears have still not said anything about it. That's all the more reason why it, it, you should start fresh.
3: I, I just I, understand I, that. I don't want to
2: carry any of this baggage into another year with a rookie quarterback or another year with
3: Justin Fields. I don't want the baggage. Wouldn't it be horrible like if if they ended up drafting Caleb Williams and then week seven, we're like, man, I wish that Getsy would allow Caleb Williams to move outside the pocket more and <laughs> and we'd be sitting there like, oh yeah. We were doing that for the last two years. I think Justin Getze Eberflus. I think Getzy has the weakest case to stay. He's not particularly popular. If we listen to what DJ Moore had to say yesterday, where DJ Moore was about as polite as you can be, saying, yeah, you know, we could have called more stuff that could have got us more points. I think Eberflus has last year as evidence in saying, you didn't even give me a chance. Like, we weren't even supposed to win. And in the year where there were definitely some improvements on the roster, the team did better and doubled the win count. Justin can say, look, I got better. I got hurt, and that was primarily my fault. That I got hurt. One of my weaknesses is part of the reason that I got hurt. But I got better, right. and th- and these guys all love me.
2: Just a, a lot of this, whether it was the, all the weirdness and Phil Snow and who's doing what I, job. Just I don't have a problem start, with Phil Snow being added. Whatever, Someone needed
3: to do fine. that
2: work. Just start start over, blow all this idiocy out and start over, and get on with it. The, the, the defense is going to be
3: top five. I'm not worried about that. I mean, I'm worried about it. This defense can be top five. I think they are. Go they get are. some. Go get some more help when it comes to pass rush. I think they will. I think they will.
2: And I think you got some real solid professionals here who can run a whole lot of different schemes and be really good at
3: it. I agree with you. And it it's. I don't want to act like it's just push and play. I feel like that devalues what Eberflus accomplished this year. But I do think that there are a lot of really good defensive coordinators. That whether they're running that system or a similar system or something completely different would be fine with the talent that the Bears have. You had a f- another
2: football question that has
3: been gnawing at you. Philosophical. Okay. One. It has to do with the quarterbacks and the danger of, well, you know what? It's about culture. Let's just say that. That's okay. a big word that people use around football. Let's talk quarterbacking and culture next on the score
0: Bursting at Homes, Midday's
1: 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Our culture is awesome.
3: I'm really enjoying the benefits of Renaissance Shane.
2: Hey, man, the cookie he just brought us. Yeah. I know he he, he tweeted out the ingredients last night. Fresh out the oven. That is a...
4: Yeah, they look good.
2: They're better than good.
3: They're fantastic. They're,
2: yeah, yesterday he get, he brought me focaccia. He brought me the... The cinnamon bread?
3: No. Because he brought that to was, us on Friday? This
2: was savory French onion focaccia. And I brought it home, so Jason saw it. He's like, oh, I know what I want to do with that. I'm like, what do you mean you know what you want to do with that? He goes, give me that. Give me that, Joe. Right. So Jason took it and he he sliced it longitudinally. Okay. And then toasted it. He put a little a little bit of salt on it. Did he do sea salt too? No. He just he just he regular table just, salt. Just a little bit because he tasted it and he just wanted the so he wanted the uh, the actual dough, the actual bread, a little saltier. So he toasted it. He put a very thin layer of whipped cream cheese on it. Oh. Then drizzled, smoked extra virgin olive oil. Okay. He sautéed honey crisp apple, sliced honey crisp apple, a little salt, a little pepper in good olive oil. He just uh, drained that off, laid the, the apples, the sautéed honey crisp apple slices over that. Then added a little bit of black pepper and dried basil and finished it with fresh lemon zest.
3: mm that sounds delicious.
2: It was ridiculous. It's not even my flavor profile. No, because
3: there's a little sweetness going on. There was th- that cookie for a you. Cookies
2: a cookie. That's a sweet, but it was also savory. But it's all. But a, I love a, a well salted chocolate chip cookie. And that was what that was. Yeah. He had Malden salt on there, which because of its what is it? It's a triangle shape, like a pyramid shape to the crystal that changes the way it hits your taste buds. It's so good. Oh my god. I like that. The Shane's out here baking stuff it's a different mentality it is it is a certain kind of cook that can get into baking and i i give him credit because that's that's really good hey i wanted to say uh, a big thank you uh, and uh, a happy new year on behalf of two and to our partner at aloha restoration the leading provider of home restoration and recovery services we had a great 2023 working with them on the score Appreciate, love the longtime partnership, and as we continue heading into 2024, here is to a successful new year with our friends at Aloha Restoration.
3: Yeah, they're, it's a service that is very much needed, and they do a tremendous job of it, and we're happy that they're one of the partners of the show. Indeed. Now, quarterbacking and culture is our headline. Okay. I know that we don't have a ton of time, but it was yes. just something that I was thinking about when we were talking about putting the show together today. If Culture is like, a big thing for you. Does the culture of the quarterback matter? Because, like, when we – like, we asked Grody about this yesterday. If you ask players about their quarterback, unless your quarterback is Jay Cutler, most football players are going to be like, oh, you know, this. he's great. Like, we love him. Now, I think the conversation about Justin has been different than what the conversation was about Mitch. And I think people really liked and like Mitch – I think he's very likable as a teammate. You know that he works hard. He's not taking shorts. It might not be in the cards for him, but you see him giving maximum effort, Deadpool. So it's hard not to like him, right? So do you worry if you're the Bears about what quarterback you're bringing in from a cultural standpoint? Does... Does the quarterback have – is he more than one of 53 when it comes to culture?
2: I think yes and no, and it may be an unsatisfying answer. I do think that his the, the growth in whatever offense you have and with his teammates matters. But ultimately, if he's putting the ball there and you're winning games, your culture is going to be just fine. Right. And guys lead in different ways, and you're you're never going to be able to have a – a specific kind of personality type, despite all the testing that's been done. And a lot and of that, that testing is lo- quackery. It's all pseudoscience that, that that has tried to determine these things. But That's what
3: I want to get into tomorrow. I, I think the best culture
2: builder is accuracy. Okay. From yeah, the, from, getting,
3: from, and getting people what they need. From the quarterbacking
2: position, I think the best culture builder is is accuracy, managing a huddle, that, that it isn't necessarily some nebulous other quality. I think it arises from everything
3: else, it's, unless the guy's a turd. Right. And that's... I have no indication that any of the top three quarterbacks are that. I I do wonder... I I don't think Drake May is very good. Like, And it was one of those things where I was late to the party on Drake May, and I'm like, man, I need to... I need to watch some stuff. And then I watched, and I'm like, ugh, not great. Big body. Like, he looks like what we think a quarterback should look like. And he's got the arm. Mm-hmm. Jaden Daniels, to me, is is the most I- intriguing candidate. And then, for me, Caleb is the next most intriguing candidate. To, to, to take over your, your team. I wonder, I mean, I know that there are are whole cottage industries inside the industry of football, that their job is to help you find out the answers to some of these questions, but some of them are so hard to figure out. Even if a quarterback, like let's say a quarterback didn't gel with the team that he played on in college, that might not be the quarterback's fault. That might be other players on the team or the head coach's fault, and you've got to try to sift through like all of that stuff to figure out like what type of style and the type of leadership style in a college locker room is very different from the leadership style inside of a pro locker room. Even if you're a quarterback coming in as a rookie, you're still a rookie. But you're also still the quarterback. Right. You know like you're, you, you there's an assumption of leadership with that role because this guy's always been a leader, but it's different. It's very different and figuring that out is uh this is why, why they get paid the big bucks and we get paid the medium bucks, I guess. I, I'd i love to really have a conversation with Ryan Poles about that because we, we understand that he values football character. I'm just going to call it football character, although I think it's probably character overall for him. How do you quantify that for this position? This is going to be our first opportunity to learn that about Poles. Like, how do you quantify? I, I don't think you do
2: quantify it. I don't think you do. I, I know we use that word, but I don't think they're making a rubric like 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 a baseball scouting report and doing the you got know, good face twenty to eighty on this and twenty to eighty on that and scaling everything. But what, Tho- what did- those decisions that that's that's what you're paying Ryan Poles to to have a feel for. But
3: what does Theo say about the was it the bottom of the in scouting the bottom of the curve or bottom of the bottom of the scouting report? On guys, like if, if you have to, the softer scouting, yeah. you've got to be good at that. Like, I, I that's think what it, I'm saying. Like, that, that's,
2: the, the top of the scouting report is power, speed, bat to ball, accuracy, etc. All of that. And at the bottom, it's I've met his parents. I talked to his college coach. I talked to his high school coach. This is what we know. This is what his teammates said about him. The stuff about Milton Bradley. Remember what that one scout said? No, I don't remember. Oh I mean, I know it was great. They they said Milton Bradley. The Milton Bradley scout who said it was a scout who passed on him, who said all of the he was not on our board. He said because all the measurables jumped out at you. Said everything. The sound of the ball off his bat the, the the all of anything they could see, any velocities, speed times Height, weight, numbers, he said when he hit a home run and not one of his teammates congratulated him. They're like, like,
3: they're like off our board. It's a scene from draft day. No one went to his party, his birthday party.
2: They said that it was the way his teammates reacted to his success that they weren't happy for him. That's
3: messed up, man. Right? That's so messed up. (laughs) Right? Like, fake it even? Especially with baseball. Like, it's. It's yeah. hard. It's hard when you got a teammate that's a, that's a, but he's also driving in a whole bunch of runs. It's I like I don't like that. Guy. No, that's no fun for anybody, really. Like uh, I gotta see him again. Oh,
2: he hit another home run. We just won the game.
3: All yeah, right. All right. I guess uh, throw some
2: gum at him. Yeah. yeah. Somebody oh, asking where where was Tim Jenkins today?
3: He got behind on the film work, I guess. So yeah, he said that he hadn't completed his watch on Justin yet. So he didn't want to come on without having completed it. So now he's completed it, and he'll be on tomorrow's show. There you go. See? So now we'll be able to, like, really break it down. We know that Jair. Break it down. (laughs)
2: Jair Alexander of the Packers already got suspended a game by the team for crashing the coin toss.
3: What if I told you I like Jair Alexander again?
2: Okay, fine. We'll show you why
1: next. Bernstein and Holmes, your midday destination for
0: Chicago Sports Talk on 670 the score. Sir, have an excellent offseason. I just want to say I thank you guys. I appreciate you guys. And I appreciate the fans, the Bears fans, for all the ups and downs, for being behind us even from the beginning, even last year. 3 and 14. You know, they were at every home and away game. You know, I appreciate them. I appreciate them this year also. That's our dude, Jaquan
2: Brisker. He was great today. If you missed our conversation with Jaquan from earlier in the show, you can use the Rewind feature to go back and listen. Download the Odyssey app, search 670 The Score, and tap earlier today to get started. And right now, caller 6 to The Score contest line, 312 540 670 wins a pair of tickets to an unforgettable evening of live music with Billy Joel And Stevie Nicks, Billy Joel, returns to Chicago for the first time since his five-consecutive-year sellout streak at Wrigley Field. Stevie Nicks returns to Chicago after her sold-out concert at United Center last summer. And this special one-night-only performance marks Joel and Nicks' first-ever performance at Soldier Field. Friday, June 21st, tickets go on sale to the general public. Friday, uh, January 12th at 10 a.m. at LiveNation.com.
3: Jair Alexander got suspended because he had jumped out with the rest of the, well, with the captains for a coin toss a couple weeks ago. He jumped into a frame of a reporter reporting, and I don't think the reporter knew who it was.
2: And I'm sure they'll bring that energy right to Texas. I'm just
3: here to tell you,
0: Pack is back.
2: You heard it from a fan right here. Pack is back. Tickets to Sunday's game range from close to $200 all the way up to, thousands of dollars on Ticketmaster. So we'll see what the representation looks like over in Dallas. Live outside Labo Field, Emily Roberts, Action 2 News.
3: Studs, I need, I need that. Ooh, ooh, I need it to be. As,
2: oh, that's when he put on his shades. Yeah, W-B-A-Y. That's Jair Alexander uh, crashing a live shot as I'm
0: just a, here
3: to tell a,
2: you, a Pack fan. is back. <laughs> I will say, don't do that. Don't crash live shots. That's probably
3: it's, why she did, had no idea. Because yeah. you're like, wait, who's this person? Yeah, it,
2: and it's scary. It's, yes. it's, it's particularly scary for a woman. Bad things have, have happened. There's been all kinds of ill intent and ugly stuff that's gone on. Do not do that. And it it's still not as good as the reporter outside <laughs> Talking of, to Jordan Clarkson. of the Utah Jazz. You Mike your first and last
3: name.
0: Um Spell it. Uh, Jordan Clarkson. J O R D A N C L A R K S O N
3: Oh uh, did you go to any jazz games?
0: Yeah, a lot.
3: I went to a lot. I went to a lot of, a lot of jazz games. <laughs> Too many. I kind of <laughs> have to.
2: <laughs> I work there. I, I
3: don't have a choice because that's how I make my money. I work there. What do you do? How tall is he? 6'9" I mean, he's 6'8", 6'9". You're insulting in Hey, Hey, give the reporter credit. She She didn't just go. He's only 6'5". She didn't go, hey, here's a tall black guy. Didn't presume. That's right. He's only 6'5". be on the. He must be on the
2: Utah Jazz. How many 6'5 black guys (laughs) in Salt Lake City don't play for either the Jazz or the Utes?
3: There's not a lot. (laughs) But good on her for not profiling. She wanted. Now, once he spelled his name out. Maybe you should have Maybe. Parkins and Spiegel
2: join us next.